Hi and welcome to the All Plane Podcast, where I talk with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, let me remind you once more that all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, are available on the All Plane website. That's allplane.tv. A L P L A N E dot TV. One of the very first guests of this podcast, when it was just taking off, was Addison Shonlan. Addison is the co-founder of Air Insight, a web portal and digital platform that tracks the commercial aviation industry, with which I have had the chance to collaborate on some occasions in the past. When we recorded that first podcast episode with Addison, the world was going through the worst moments of the COVID pandemic. And there was a whole lot of uncertainty and even very serious concerns about the future of the aviation industry as a whole. The world has obviously moved on since then and airplanes and airports are filling up again. So I thought it was a good time to welcome Addison back to the podcast to review the general landscape in the aviation industry right now with a particular focus on the different aircraft programs that are currently underway what major OEMs such as Airbus and Boeing are up to, and what other forces are shaping this industry, such as, for example, the drive to decarbonize and to become more sustainable. Also, I wanted to ask Addison for an opinion about projects that aim to disrupt the, the very way in which we fly, for example, EV tolls, or even some more, let's say, outlandish projects like airships or even supersonic aircraft. So tune in for an in-depth conversation about the general state of aviation with an expert that is taking the pulse of the industry pretty much on a daily basis. Let me welcome Addison to the podcast. Hello, Addison. How are you? Great. Thank you, Miguel. How are you? Very well. Welcome back to the podcast, by the way. Because thank you, you very much. You were one of the very first guests when I launched it. It was during the pandemic. Uh, it was 2020. And it's been a while, so I thought it was a good idea to get you back here on the pod and talk about what's going on in the market. You are one of the people I know that are completely on top of what's going on. You track the market through Air Insight, and you have different analytical tools to keep track of that. Good time to, to review what's going on. First of all, just in case, because I guess many of the people that are following this podcast now were not subscribe when we launched because it was pretty small at the time. Uh, just tell us in like four words about yourself and, and Air Insight and what you guys do. Okay, Air Insight is a, um, we report news. If you go to our website, you'll see that we report a lot on what's going on, but we also do a lot of analytics. Um, in, in our view, everybody can report, which is great, but if you don't have data to back up what you're saying and where you're coming from, it's just another opinion. So we are very data-oriented, and uh, we've been going since 2009. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's com for whomever right. wants to check it out. I had the chance to to collaborate with uh, some writings uh, some time ago. And yeah, it's a great website, so I recommend everyone going in and, and checking it out. Um, yeah, so it's been about two years since the last time you were here in the podcast. At the time, there was a lot of uncertainty. The COVID, we were in the middle of the of the COVID pandemic. Everything had pretty much stopped. There was still uh, the Boeing Max issue still open. So lots of uncertainty. Yeah. So where are we now? I mean, it seems that the air traffic is back. 
still not 100% recovered, but in the parts of the world that are open, it's a back back on track. So where does this leave all the, let's say, manufacturing side of the industry and what are the prospects? So I think that the the return of traffic was a lot more aggressive than anybody was expecting. You may recall when we were first going into the pandemic, everybody was questioning, is this going to be a V recovery? And most people said it would be like the, the Nike logo, a swoosh. Turns out that the swoosh part, you know, the the that long tail was a, a lot steeper. People like to travel. And we live in a service industry. So in business terms, you don't service people electronically. Like we're doing the Zoom uh, chat here now, which is great, but you can maintain a relationship like that, but you cannot build one and you cannot start one. Indeed, so, yeah. So you have to come back and you and and the, the difficulty is that when the airlines started laying people off, the people that they laid off very often had security clearance, meaning that they worked on the air side of an airport. Well, all those people have to get security clearances to go back to work. That's number one. That's not easy because who's going to do all these clearances in a hurry? Number two. A lot of people in the airline industry are tired of the, I don't know how else to put it, but like it's an abusive industry. It doesn't like its employees. When it's good times, everybody's having a great time. When it's bad times, you get trashed. And mm -hmm. pilots um, are, are an example of this. You know, the good times are here. And then the, when the bad times come, you may recall that when we went into the pandemic, there was a pilot shortage. And within 60 days, there was a surplus. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, these people are highly skilled, highly trained, just like any other profession. They have to go through refresher every year to prove their talent and their skill. And in their line of work, it's like at the peak of, of a profession, there is zero tolerance for anything that impacts safety. Recovering has been very difficult, very, very difficult. Now, <clears throat> I start with the airlines because that is the sharp edge of the sword, right? Behind that feeds into it. So you've got the uh, people like Boeing and Airbus trying to deliver airplanes. Well, yep. they also had to try and bring their people back. Yes. Slow yes. down production. Well, you have to not bring the people back. You have to bring them back up to speed. Then there's a the supply chain. I don't know if you saw today's news that uh, Indigo is saying that they have a shortage of engines from Pratt & Whitney and CFM. Mm -hmm. Well, no surprise. Um, you mean Indigo the airline or Indigo the investment group? Indigo the airline. In okay, yeah. Um, the, the thing is that, as somebody once said, um, you if you go, uh, this person was working at the time for Pratt & Whitney, I think he now works for GE, but he made a very interesting statement. He said, you know, you go to the, the supply, supply chain and you run into your competitor because we're all going to the same people to buy the parts. Yeah. So the pandemic shook a very fragile system and the fragile system is now trying to repair itself. And we're seeing that the system's recovery is not easy. Yeah. I, I was surprised to read a few days ago that it seems like the big aircraft might be back in fashion. I read that Emirates were, was asking whether there might be an opportunity to do something like the A380 uh, at some point in the future, I don't know what's what's going on with this because it seemed that like the era of, of super large aircraft was kind of over 
but it seems now it's it's back. I think the answer to that question really goes around the fact that you've got excess demand for travel. So you have to move all these people, but you don't have enough pilots. You don't have enough flight attendants. So guess what you have to do? You're not going to use small planes. You're going to use big planes. I need to move 500 people from here to there. I don't have enough crew for two triple sevens. Yeah. If I have one 380, that's what I'm going to use. It's yeah. more efficient. And um, the truth is that as economies mature, people start to travel. India. India is an unbelievably hot place for, for um, commercial aviation. Yes. People, a lot of people don't realize the Indian population now is bigger than the population in China. And, and unlike China, India, you can travel if you want. You can go anywhere you like. All mm -hmm. you need is a bit of money. And by the way, tickets in India are almost artificially cheap. Yes, I know. I've been traveling around there and it was unbelievable. And that was quite a few years ago. At that time, there was a bit of an explosion in, in terms of the number of uh, airlines. I think it's, there's been a bit of consolidation. Uh, since then, but still, I was amazed. I mean, we to fly between, I think, from Kolkata to, to Delhi, we had like four or five different options, super cheap, plenty of options, and it seems still still the case. Very uh, very competitive, very dynamic market. Right, and in the US, what we're seeing is um, the big airlines are increasingly using wide-body service domestically. And, for example, you see that um, Southwest has moved from the 700 to the 800, now to the max eight. They've upsized. Delta and American are, are focusing on the 321. Yeah. that United and Alaska are focusing on the max nine. Everybody's upsizing. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to add, that's one of the things I had um, noted down here to ask you about, because you recently published a, a post, an article about uh, A321 versus A320. And it seems that now, in terms of deliveries, at 321, it's almost as big as the 320, uh, which I guess has to do with this kind of upsizing that right, we're seeing across right. the board, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about, I guess, you know, we, we sit on the outside. I've never run an airline. I've never bought an airplane, never bought an engine. So I, I have to put that all up front that this is just data-driven opinion, not experience-driven opinion. But if you're looking at how the, the industry works and you look at the, the credible number of exogenous or outside things that can impact your, your life as a running of airline, everybody thought knows about weather. But then you have these crazy, like a pandemic or SARS or you have the war. I mean, the world is crazy. So you have to have a very flexible approach. And so when you look at this and you say, well, you know, in the ideal world, we'll have what the saying was, horses for courses. You know, this plane for this market, this plane for that market. Well, when everything gets thrown upside down, you now need to be a bit more flexible. And now you need to have something that you could, I suppose, be creative with. And mm -hmm. in, in, in those terms, you buy something a little bigger, like a Max 9 or a 321, because you get more seats and you can maybe do something more with it. I'll give an example. <clears throat> Yesterday, just on, on flight radar, I noticed Iceland Air is flying a MAX 8 from Reykjavik to Baltimore, where I'm based. Mm -hmm. That's over six hours on a 737. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about anybody who's listening to this conversation, but six hours on a 737 is enough for me to want to jump out. Yeah. <laughs> the nearest door or window, whichever. <laughs> um, and, and the thing is, you see, like the 321 um, JetBlue flying across, across the Atlantic now, 
every day, we're seeing some really interesting things happen. So the airlines have to find a way, and fortunately there are tools like these new airplanes where they have long range, they're very fuel efficient, they're very quiet. So when I think about six hours on a MAX 8, it's not because I think that a MAX 8 is not a good airplane, but the MAX 8 is not like the 800 that I'm familiar with. It's quieter mm -hmm. and probably is more comfortable because six hours in a small plane, well, I mean, we, do, we fly coast to coast in the U.S., long hauls in small planes too so but it doesn't it depend more on on the sort of cabin i mean i i wouldn't mind flying a, a narrow body across the atlantic on a you know a comfortable seat uh compared to maybe an a380 in a in a very cramped cabin right well i you, it, it all depends on on you know you you're looking at let's say we're standing at the gate and we're looking at the two options to cross you know, from from let's say you know the atlantic and you say mm -hmm six hours in a small plane, you just automatically feel cramped. Um, but it, it obviously depends where you see it. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's so much um, this in this recovery from the pandemic, there's so much new that we have to get used to. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 um, the, the security stuff at airports is insane. Mm -hmm. yeah. Travel, travel today is not like travel was in 2019. And 2019 was not like 2015. It just seems to be getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And what can I say? You know, but people like us who have to travel for work, that's what we have to do. Yeah. So you, hope, you hope and pray that you're going to get an upgrade and you hope and pray that you're going to get a nice experience. And uh, maybe, I mean, it's, it's never ending. This is a, this is a crazy industry. Indeed, and uh, in this in this landscape where um, we mentioned the this upgorging of of the fleet, so airlines like Wizzair, for example, that seem to be going A three twenty one, which I guess is it's more efficient for them. But what about aircraft like the Airbus A two twenty that seem to just uh, be a play on on more niche markets? How do they fit in this kind of upsizing trend? Because it seems to be kind of going the opposite way well it's interesting you it's I'd, i would say it's not the opposite way it's part of the same trend okay so for example what we see in the united states um, mm -hmm. delta is the only airline flying the 220-100 and my sense of it is that they're using that because we have a unique thing in the state in the u.s called scope clause where the major airlines have got to deal with their pilots that you can only have so many regional jets and about 70% of the world's regional general operations happen in the US. So the problem is that economics on a small airplane are not attractive. 50-seaters, for example, are very expensive to fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so what happens is the 50-seaters are going away, but it's hard to, 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 to send them away because what are you going to replace them with? You know, certain markets only need a 50-seater. And people are not really keen on turboprops, although today's turboprops are really quite amazing. They're very mm -hmm. quiet. They, they are very efficient. And by the way, they're much greener. Anyway, yeah. so um, what, we see, what we think we're seeing is Delta is using the 220-100 to cherry pick the right regional routes, fly them what was previously with a regional jet, now with a mainline jet using mainline pilots, and because, and this is the interesting thing, Delta is a very big airline, very, mm -hmm. very big. Yeah. If I can capture Miguel from a small town America and bring him into the system, now if he's flying to Barcelona or anywhere else, 
is in our system. And I have a very attractive airplane which is very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And now he's not going to find a regional jet that's uncomfortable. He's going to, if he had a choice, same mm-hmm. price, but more comfort experience. Hopefully they'll win the customer over. Oh, the big, the, yeah. The... No, it makes sense. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's an upsizing in its right context, right? So... Right. And, <laughs> and the, the 22300 is a very interesting airplane. It competes with what would be the seven the, the 737-700 or Max 7 or the 319 and the 319neo. So, I mean, they've only delivered like four 319neos. It's, it's not a great market-shaking uh, airplane. The Max 7 has quite a bit more orders but has not yet been certified hope you know southwest is hoping very much for this year <clears throat> the the 22300 of course is certified and flying and you can see it in europe with air baltic um, they they are doing amazing things with that airplane yes so, so again you have um some airlines are just going to do the right thing with that size airplane now you talk about the 220 means you should also talk about the e2 and we look at the people in uh, at Helvetic, and I've spoken to the CEO at Helvetic in, a, in a, a podcast similar to this, and he was saying that that airplane, because of its range and its size, they can do something called pop-up markets. Mm-hmm. So if they have capacity available, let's say on the Thursday or Wednesday, they might put on their website, you know, we have a pop-up market to uh, wherever. And this airplane not only can carry the right load of people, they can that meaning if you can sell 110, 120 seats, you sell them, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a pop-up market for the weekend. So they take you out on Friday and they bring you back on Sunday. Mm, and interesting. He said because of that airplane's capabilities, and what he meant there was range, because this is the really killer feature of these new airplanes that can fly really much further than they used to. Um, I mean 737 is flying now from the west coast of the US to Hawaii. You know, most people can't imagine what that's like. That's also six hours. Yeah. Um, so these new airplanes open up markets. Yeah. And that I think is the really interesting thing. So yes, the 220 is small compared to a 320 or 737, but because of its range, you know, when Bombardier still had this, the what was in the C series, they flew a 22300 from Wichita, which is Wichita, which is like the middle of America. In Kansas, yeah. Yes, non-stop to Reykjavik. Yes, I remember I was at the delivery of the first A220. Well, it was not the 220, it was a CS300 at the time to Air Baltic. And it flew all the way from, I think, from Montreal to Correct. Stockholm. Correct. Uh, but they, they, made a te- they, they did a technical stop in, in Stockholm, but they told us they had enough fuel to make it all the way to Riga in Latvia. And, and I think now they deploy these aircraft on, on routes from the Baltic countries to all the way to the Canary Islands, which is like, yeah, it's about six, I think it's a six hour flight or something like that as well. It's like Even to Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what we have there is a smaller airplane, but with amazing capabilities. The mm-hmm. E2 and the 220 are what um, there's a very nice gentleman that I'm sure you know, Bernie Baldwin in England, mm-hmm. yeah. came up with the term crossover jet. And I think that's an excellent term for this. These are crossover jets that take you from regional to mainline. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're in that 100 seat market, which was always very difficult. You remember Fokker was there, British Aerospace Avro was there. They all struggled. Mm-hmm. Now you have the technology, and essentially what's interesting in the case of Embraer and um, Airbus here is the 
Pratt & GTF engine, which powers both these airplanes, which can take you from around about 100 seats to about 140 seats and can fly incredible distances, over 3,000 miles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about the other segment, the, the workhorse of the industry, uh, where we have the, the NEOs and the MAXs? Uh, what's the situation now? Is the MAX, can we say the MAX is out of the woods now? And... Well, look... Uh, you know, the, the truth is that um, I remember the CEO of Airbus saying a few years ago to me that he was very worried at the time about the duopoly being unstable. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking at it this morning. Um, uh, if you look at deliveries this year, Airbus and Boeing account for about 95% of deliveries. So it's not like they, um, you know, they're big in the market. It is the market. They are the market. Mm -hmm. you know, people like um, Comac, that, that you know, everybody gets excited about that. It's going to be like decades before they can get to the same level. These two guys are so big. They are the market. Yeah. And anything that creates instability hurts everybody. So I think that we have to hope that the max is, is sorted out and fixed. The deliveries are going as fast as they can. Um, and airlines are flying them. And very happily, yeah, no. Nah nothing that's what we want to hear we don't want to hear any news about any airplane having any problems because you know what it's bad for the entire industry yeah no no news good news I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting that um, i i had the benefit of being invited to a, a, a pre-farnborough meeting in seattle where they showed us the seven eight nine and ten max all mm -hmm. they parked them all like around this one place for us to look at it was amazing to see. I mean, you know, you think about this design, it's like 60 years old. Yeah. Boeing is able to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it and extract value from a design that basically is from the 1960s. Indeed, yeah. Uh, what about the 777X? What are the prospects here? I mean, what what, what do you think it's well, going to The thing <laughs> you're touching all the light you're touching all the live wires here. <laughs> um, it depends you know, my opinion is based on what I read. And what I read is that there's some frustration from the customers, particularly mm -hmm. um, Emirates. Uh, the thing that people outside the industry may not appreciate is that an airline typically sells seats 360 days in advance, right? So when you get told by an OEM, okay, your new airplane is going to arrive on August the 1st in 2021, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen. 360 days before that, you've been selling seats on that airplane. Mm -hmm. Now the time's coming that you have to deliver that seat to a passenger who's paid. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. What are you going to use? Mm -hmm. and we see this all over the place now. Again, Indigo, this morning story about uh, their Neos, you know, missing engines. Airlines are routinely now are extending leases. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, uh, Stephen Udvarhazi was saying it's like 90% or 95% of his customers are extending leases because they cannot get the new planes fast enough. And by the way, if you think about this, this whole thing at IATA and Net Zero and Green and whatever, the quickest way to green is to have the newest possible engines. Mm -hmm. And they come with the newest possible airplanes. Mm -hmm. So well, the quicker you can retire the old stuff and fire the new stuff, the greener you're going to get. You're not going to solve the problem, but you're going to make it better. What do you think about these uh, the project, projects like, for example, Airbus uh, Zero E, 
like this idea of having a new generation of hydrogen power mm -hmm. airliner, like clean sheet airliners. Is it feasible? Is it realistic? What What do you think are the prospects for this happening in a, in, a, in the foreseeable future? Let's say not 50 years from now, but let's say in a, in a decade from now. So I've, 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 got, uh, I've got two mixed feelings about that. The first thing is that all the people promising this um, technology, they're older than me or my age. And they, will they won't be around when that promise is meant to be delivered. They'll be retired or not even alive, right? I mean, let's be realistic. So everybody's what I call greenwashing. Okay, so that's one opinion, and I, I want to be honest about that. I, I'm skeptical. I'm very skeptical about this. But look back at this industry, right? When did commercial aviation start, really? Yeah, like... Uh, the uh, 1930s, yeah. in the wars, really. Yes, in massive terms, even after the war. I mean, if you... Right, say, yeah. and look at how we have moved technologically from then till yep. now. Yes, indeed. I was reading the other day, I think someone wrote that it was longer, I think, since the 737 that you mentioned, like you mentioned the first variant of the 737 till now, than the time that passed between the Wright brothers' first aircraft until the Apollo program, something like that. <laughs> right. so, so I, I think I think that uh, what, what we have here is an industry that knows how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that they will probably accomplish a great deal of their goals. I don't know necessarily 100%, but I'm confident that the, the genius power in this industry will, will get us very close to it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any um, particular, um, let's say, favorite horse in when it comes to these environmentally friendly technologies that are being uh, touted lately? We've been uh, seeing lots of projects in electric, hybrid, hydrogen, um, sustainable. Well, yeah, sustainable aviation fuel. I guess it's gonna it's gonna happen anyway because it's the most um, straightforward way. I guess uh, with delivering significant. Um... So I think, I think hydrogen is very interesting, but the problem is storage. Mm -hmm. Electric is very interesting. The problem is storage. So, for yeah. example, you fly an electric airplane compared to an, a fueled airplane. Mm -hmm. As the airplane flies with a fueled airplane, it's burning fuel. It's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Yeah. Yeah. A battery-powered airplane doesn't get lighter. It stays yeah. the same weight. So, it's, so there's a challenge there. But again, I think the, the genius power in this industry is going to figure out a lot of the solutions. Yeah. So I'm excited about all the options. Yeah, in, in terms, I mean, the, in, in the electric field, uh, one thing that I, I, I keep I keep pondering is whether uh, the fact that it's basically, uh, it's promising to be revolutionary in the in the shorter haul and uh, in, in the smaller segment, where it's going to change some travel habits. Uh, you mentioned earlier the, the bad experience of, of traveling through large airports. Um, you mentioned as well the uh, regional travel how you connect uh, all these regional centers. And, and actually, you have quite a few entrepreneurs now that are promising, no, with, with electric, we're going we're gonna to kind of bypass all of this because you're going to be able to, to travel direct from regional to regional, et cetera. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if that, that's, that's going to be... Uh, Miguel, yeah. I, think, I think the best example is, most people don't know this, but yeah. I, I was educated about this, fascinated me. The city with the most helicopters in the world is Sao Paulo. Mm -hmm. True, yeah. Because the traffic is so bad. Sao Paulo will be one of the test places where eVTOL is going to really make an impact. 
Yeah, actually, I've got um, uh, there's a podcast that is coming up, an episode of the of this podcast. Well, actually, depends on when this one is published. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's already going to be published by then. But I I've done a podcast about uh, with one of the leading Latin American entrepreneurs in the field of EV toll. Uh, so yeah, we talk precisely about this, about how in these areas with right. poor, so, poor so- infrastructure, yeah. So, for example, I was speaking to who was then head of Magniex, Roy Gonzarski, was talking to me about this and said, you need to change the way you're thinking, because all of us think about aviation in this one way, but now we've got this whole new way. It's like moving from a, a, a horse and a wagon to a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Completely changes everything. So he said, for example, if I could fly you from one part of Los Angeles to another, instead of a taxi, I could move you in 10 minutes and it's going to cost you 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, wait a second. That's a whole new way of doing stuff. It's green because it's electric. It's quiet. It's going to be safe. Why not? Yeah. So it's, exci- it's definitely exciting stuff. Oh, even even for longer distances, um, people, I don't know, if you're, you're in Baltimore now, if you need to fly, I don't know, somewhere in the East Coast, maybe even, yeah, maybe... Uh, I don't know if that would, would be between range. If it's like oh, it's what? 200 miles. 200 miles, yeah. So something like that. Quite yeah. doable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so where you see something interesting like that is it starts to impact regional flights. Mm-hmm. And if you can start to, to making regional flights, essentially a taxi service, meaning I don't have to fly 60 people in a, in a small tube. I can fly six and I can mm-hmm. do that. I can do it 12 times a, an hour instead of, once every two hours, you can you can start seeing you moving traffic in the different ways. Mm-hmm. It doesn't solve the problem of, of of congestion because that's a that's a separate thing. But what I'm saying is we have to step back from this and see that we can solve the problem of moving people. It creates new problems, new challenges, but we have new options now, mm-hmm. and I think that's very interesting. Particularly because it's electrical, it's going to be cheaper. And this is a very important point to point out. Electrical motors have one moving part. One. Mm-hmm. If you look at a turbine or a piston engine, we're talking about hundreds, thousands of parts. Electric motors are very simple. Very yes. simple. Yes, that's the beauty of it. There's so much going on in, in, in this industry. And, and we just had a, a farm bureau air show recently we've got uh constantly uh new announcements orders um we even had recently this interesting order well i don't know if technically it's an order it's the american airlines following united with this boom supersonic what's your take on this do you think that's going to happen um i would say that on the supersonic thing i am very skeptical if we look at the timeline that they've published of when they plan to have everything done they should already have an engine. They should already be testing. And they don't have an engine, and they're not testing. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to work. I obviously am a cheerleader for the industry. I would. I want to see success. I, I, I embrace the success. I do not take pleasure in people having a hard time and struggling because, goodness knows, this industry has had enough shocks to, you know, if you've been in the industry long enough, you 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 just don't want rainy days, you know. Yeah. You want sunshine and happiness, and so I I really would wish them well, but I got to say, the odds are steep 
and not necessarily in their favor. It's a lot of rah-rah right now. I hope they succeed. I don't know. There's also the uh, regulatory and, and public relations element here that right. plays against them as well because of all the all the implications of, of trying to fly super fast. But what's interesting is that uh, besides the all this eVTOL and, and sustainability thing, we are also seeing quite a lot of flying concepts that are not the traditional one. Supersonic is one, but we have seen airships as well. For example, Airlander as well. Uh, we, we've seen recently a Spanish airline uh, announced it was going to be the it's going to be the, the the launch customer whenever it's ready and we've seen other other types of vehicles like uh, region craft that wants to use ground effect vehicles it is, it's essentially like a hybrid between a boat and a and an aircraft uh, going very fast over water uh, but without touching it so yeah i don't know it would be awesome if we had all these choices uh in the future to travel from point a to point b even if Possibly these concepts are not going to be useful for all use cases, but uh, definitely interesting times, I think. Well, Miguel, you know, this industry has really always been the tension between the accountants and the engineer. The engineers come up with amazing ideas, Mm -hmm. fantastic ideas. Fascinating. Yeah. Actually, some of them, it must be said, some of these ideas are not new. They, some of them go back, hundred years or, or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, the Zeppelin, but the, the, the ground effect vehicle as well, it, it's a decades old concept, just that they now new new take on that with uh, with new materials, new new technologies that I guess right. Right. Uh, give a second chance to them. <laughs> we will see. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, on the one end, you've got to celebrate this because let's wish them all success. But yep. not everything in this industry works because in the end... The engineers are not always 100% right, and the accountants are sometimes right. Yeah, You know, you can come up with great novel ideas. A classic example, this nonsense now of everybody wanting to go into space. Space tourism. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> There's no economic rationale for that, but if you're super rich and you would like to look down on the world like an astronaut, great. It's not tourism. It's, for, it's a toy. It's like mega yachts and private jets it's for like you know play things for a very small group of people don't mm-hmm. wrap it up as tourism or something please get out of here <laughs> you know, i just you know but at the same time you know velcro came from nasa velcro yeah. is very useful stuff on your shoes or anywhere yeah. else mm-hmm. so hopefully good stuff will come out of all these crazy things yeah well back to earth Yes. Let, let's 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 focus on the on the uh, let's say the mainstream mainstream aviation market uh, because you are one of the people I know that possibly has a, a, a better insight on what's going on. You you got the the whole picture and obviously because you you manage that air, air insight you you manage quite a few models to track the industry and and to see what's going on in the different segments. Um, so we are coming out as we were saying out of. Uh, and a bit of an exceptional period the last two years. What can you tell us about the current market situation? Tell us a little bit about what sort of elements would you advise people to focus on when looking at this market and, and how you how you track this? I mean, you, you've got some models. Are there specific metrics that you focus on that are more useful than others? So I, I think that the first thing that, and we spoke about a little bit at the beginning about, you know, when we're talking about the 321 and the 220 and the E2, and the need to be flexible. Um, you need to have 
a it's almost like a size nine shoe that you can do just you know like that's that's the the, the average that can do everything and you like you look at the industry and you see that for example um Airbus and Boeing are doing what they can to get orders. What we obviously see is that a lot of the orders, you know, an order comes in as this mod. Well, you don't see it with Max because Air, Boeing only says so. So and so bought a Max. The airline might tell you that they're buying a Max nine, ten, or whatever, but it's very difficult to keep track of that because what people order and what they take delivery of is not always the same. Yeah. So I think that what we're going to see going forward is an increasing move towards finding tools that can be used in various ways what sort of tools what do you mean yeah airplanes so for yeah. example united is now announced that they want to replace their older seven seven six seven three hundreds and their triple sevens replacing the triple seven is actually quite easy because you've got the right seven eight seven you've got the right airbus equivalents the seven six seven united has said is very difficult to replace mm -hmm. now the seven six seven to a three hundred <clears throat> is actually the middle of the market airplane. Now, I'd, many people may not remember this because it's really a long time ago. When Boeing invented the middle of the market, they came out with the 7.5 and the 7.6 at the same time, at the same cockpit. You could fly the one, you could fly the other. It was a brilliant move. Yeah, and what happened to that? Because uh, about a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk about this, uh, reactivating this, um, this concept. But it seems that It's been kind of paused, right? Or right. Stopped. So what's interesting there is, um, and actually just takes me to one of my, my models. I'm just going to quickly look at this. Mm -hmm. The latest one of it. So it's interesting. Boeing did not replace the 757. And they thought they could stretch the 737 MAX you know, to the 9 and into the 10 and accomplish that mission. The problem is that they've done this really late. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Airbus 321 just got better and better and better. And now the 321neo and now the LR and then the XLR, they've got a kind of family of these things that can yeah. do amazing amount of efficient work. Um, I don't know if you remember there was an island uh, there was an Iceland airline called Wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. They flew a 321 from Reykjavik to LA. Yeah, 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 yeah. In your mind, in your mind, picture how long that flight is. Yeah, although they they got a couple of A330s, and I read some analysis saying that it's actually what that bankrupted them, or one of the Correct. major factors. It, it's that they they uh, they onboarded this uh, larger aircraft that they should have stayed with the uh, narrow bodies. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, they, 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 um, you know the ambition uh, the ambition there was became a problem. But um, the the so you know when you look at if you look at the sweet spot of the market. It used to be around 160 seats, the 320, the 737. That's moving. So, for example, the MAX 8 and the 320 now can seat 170 because they've got the, the, uh, I make the joke about the 737 MAX. If you're going to the bathroom, you need to know what you're going to do because mm -hmm. when you're in there, you cannot turn around and sit down and stand up because once you go in, that's the way you're going to be facing. The, the Ryanair ones, they, they have uh, up more than 200 passengers, more than 200 passengers, oh, that's right? The, yeah, that's the Max the, 8-200. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's a bit of a joke, but okay. The hmm. fact is the fact is that eventually you run out of real estate. I mean, there's, you know, the, uh, there's talk about in the U.S. now that the FAA is going to look at um, seat sizes. 
that's a great idea because people are not getting smaller. And you know what? Some t- I remember flying on WOW thinking, I don't need a seatbelt. Once I'm seated, I'm not moving. I can't. <laughs> the person in front of me cannot push the seat back, but they're so close to me, we're like family by the end of the flight. You know, <laughs> um, it's, it's uncomfortable. And these smaller planes are flying longer legs, like we spoke about before. Now, yeah. I think that the sweet spot is really moving towards from 160, 170 to closer to 200. And there we see a huge swing in favor of Airbus because of the 321. Yeah. Our calculations through the most recent data from Airbus and Boeing, which would be June, is that between 2000 and June this year, Airbus is ahead in the single aisle, middle of the market, by 1,732 airplanes. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the world wants the 321 and the MAX 9 doesn't do it. The MAX 10 isn't even available, although we've seen Delta buy 130 of them or 100 plus 30. And we see, you know, people are, you know, um, um, Qatar is now signed up for that, but Qatar signs up for some things that they don't take delivery of. So who knows? <clears throat> Bottom line is the world is moving to, I think, upsizing. And the middle of the market is a very important segment to watch. Mm-hmm. And how much of a of an issue or a factor in in the orders in in these cycles of orders between Airbus and Boeing? How important is the backlog uh, of orders? Because I think at some point Airbus had a huge backlog. So if you wanted to order an Airbus, you had to wait quite a while. Right. So you would expect people then to start switching to Boeing in the meantime if there were no max issues or stuff like that so and then maybe you build up a backlog a backlog at boeing and and then the opposite happens something like that <laughs> i don't know no, how it's not, it's not so easy you, you uh-huh. bear in mind that the people that fly these airplanes for you are trained mm-hmm. yeah. so if you're an airbus pilot it doesn't automatically mean that you can fly a, a max no you of course have, yeah mm-hmm. so when you when you if you if your fleet is primarily Boeing, like it's uh, Southwest, mm-hmm. switch from the 737 flight deck to another one is a shocking change because you're going to have enormous training impact. Yeah, but you you but, but you would expect to have a few years to prepare in the meantime as well, right? Well, maybe. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you look at, if you look at the, for example, the num- number of simulators out there in the world today, there are not enough max simulators for, to train pilots, even if they run seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's a line at the door. Uh, have they managed to retrain all the pilots? Because I think there was an issue with that as well, because they'd spent so much time on grounded that they had to... You'll not, you'll, you notice that there's very little news about that particular issue. Yeah. Um, I think everybody's quite happy to keep quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact is that the pilots, certainly in the US, are now all getting big increases because the airlines are making money. And the, and the, the bottom line is without pilots, you have nothing. Yeah. They know it, the management know it, and guess what? You can you can actually f- operate an airline without managers, but you cannot operate an airline without pilots. True. So what, what else do you see in your, in your models? Uh, what other trends do you think are, are relevant now to track? Um, I think that what we, we should be seeing more of, but we don't, is the um, the crossover jet. We should see a lot more interest in that size airplane. Uh-huh. The, the A220s and E2s. E2s. We should be seeing uh-huh. more interest in that. Um, I think that the, the, the last big market in the world that um, 
that has to catch up with aviation is Africa. Mm -hmm. so that's a that's a very interesting place to watch. And what's interesting there is a lot of the airlines now in Nigeria are buying new, not secondhand. But the airlines in South Africa, which previously was by far the biggest market, they tell me the market cannot afford new airplanes there because it's too competitive. Now they've you know airlines come and go, but there is a market for secondhand e jets that is doing very well, and secondhand seven three sevens. The difficulty is. And, and 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 the 320s. The difficulty is finding secondhand 737s and e 320s that are economically viable, meaning they're not old and tired and expensive. Because you know, you you if you're living in an economy where your currency is not the US dollar, which is most of the world, oil is priced in US dollars, and the US dollar is going up right now. And for you, for you in Europe, it's nearly parity. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, we I think already passed that. I think it's right. so you can imagine. Yeah. So, so for an American tourist to Europe right now, it's happy days. Yeah, um, yeah. For a, a European tourist coming to America, it's awful. You know, you mm -hmm. get one point three dollars to the euro. That's not the case. So, if you're running an airline in a place like South Africa, it's very difficult because you have to pay U.S. dollars cost for your your oil, your fuel. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, forty percent, forty five percent of your operating costs are fuel. That's awkward puts a lot of pressure on you. And by the way, you're paying for fuel today, but you sold the ticket three weeks ago when the price was something else. So now you have to make up that margin. How do you do that? It's a tough business. It's yeah. Tough business. And here comes to mind a country like Nigeria, that it's a, it's an oil country. And it's a huge country, both in terms of land mass and, and population. But for some reason, the airline industry seems to have some permanent problem there not not taking off like it's done in other emerging economies yeah it's uh i think it's the african contagion I've, when i've spoken to people in the in the market there they talk about something really interesting the europeans had a history of war and have decided that war is really dumb that message hasn't got to moscow yet but war is really dumb mm -hmm. if you want to have a good life stop fighting Make stuff together, open your economy, open open up to each other, and guess what? Every, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? So in Africa, if you want to fly, this is crazy. If you want to fly cheaply from one city to another city, often you have to go through Brussels. Mm -hmm. Is that insane? No. Yes, it's completely insane because governments in Africa don't want to open up, which is... It is incomprehensible to somebody from a Western culture to look at this and say, the economic opportunity is staring you in the face. What are you saying no to? Open your economy. African uh, African countries, many of them feel like they need to have a national airline. No, you mm -hmm. don't. Why would you want a national airline? Why would you care? You want to move people efficiently. You want to move products and goods efficiently. If someone can do it efficiently, let them do it. Why do you have to be involved with running an airline? Yeah. You know, South African Airways. Europe Black used holes. to be a bit like that as well, huh? right? Until, but, until the nineties, right? Yeah. But, but look at what's happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have these these groups now trying to to do some sort of Pan African groups, like Ethiopian, and I think there's a couple more that are trying to do that. Ethiopian, but I think Ethiopian I, is a very very sharply run business, very well run business, mm -hmm. but it's state owned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what about South Africa now? What's going to happen? Uh, we're we're go- going a bit off topic now, but I'm just curious because uh, well, you, it's a market you know well. And yeah. I just wanted to ask your opinion about that because we, we I, talked about that last time when we, we you were here on the podcast. And then it, it went bankrupt and it, it then restarted. And now, I don't know, there's again look, some trouble, right? <laughs> the, the bottom line is I think that the market is just doesn't need South African Airways. Mm-hmm. Got Airlink that's doing well. You got another one called Safe that's doing well. Um, Kame went bankrupt also. So they, they essentially got two two reasonably sized airlines that can cover every, everything that needs to be done domestically. They've got um, uh, um, you know agreements and co chairing deals with with other airlines that can move people in and out of the country. What's the what's what's the difficulty here? The government should just stay out of the business because governments cannot run companies. Now, of course, you can you turn around and say, well, what about Qatar, Emirates? You know, okay, fair enough. Most countries cannot afford an airline. Just get out of the way. Let entrepreneurs do what they do. Let them risk their own capital. And you know what? When they risk their own capital, they're careful. And they make good decisions. Um, mm-hmm. Example, also in Air India, you know, mm-hmm. the government yeah. realized we're crazy. Why would we keep spending money on this company? You know, the whole thing about... Government companies, it's jobs for pals or jobs for your voters. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually the taxpayer realizes, why am I doing this? Why am I paying for this? Yeah. And it's, it's irrational. It's just yeah. irrational. But in the, the bigger picture of Africa, if only they would get the vision, open up your skies to each other, you will actually do very well. And the, the problem they have there, of course, is airport fees. There's, a, there's this, this concept or this vision there that, Commercial aviation is something to exploit and get money from. Well, don't kill the golden goose. Feed the goose, take care of the goose, and you get a lot of golden eggs. Just don't be greedy. Mm-hmm. Very well. And for people that want to basically explore these figures, these analytics, yeah. um, what's the way to go? Uh, what, well, what what would you suggest? Because you you've got at at Insight you are um, you've got different tools, right? To to keep track of different metrics, different, right. different stories, different products, different different ways to look at things. Well, um, if if somebody wanted to to sort of take a look at what we have, um, we have what we call data analytics. If you come to the website airinsight.com, that'd be very good. We'd be love to have you visit. Um, take a look there. You'll see data analytics. There. You'll see there's um, free. There's some free models, and of course, um, if you become a subscriber, you get access to about 50 different models. And even though they are US centric, because that's the data we work with, it's okay because very often people can see that benchmarking, because the US data is so much richer, that benchmarking data becomes very useful. So, for example, everybody's interested right now in, in green, right? So what mm-hmm. do we know about green? Well, we have models based on real fuel burn, not what their manufacturers say, real fuel burn by passenger per seat hour or by um, payload. And you can see how much carbon emissions an airplane is really generating. So, you know, there's so there's there's lots of uh, there's lots of data and of course. Um, if anybody wants to contact us to talk about it or experiment or, or you know show me around if they like, we'd be mm-hmm. very happy to do that because mm-hmm. um, it's like going through a library. If you if you 
if you're familiar with libraries, you know what to do. But very often, it's yeah. like, it helps to have someone walk you through it. Yeah, I actually, uh, yeah, it would be easier to explain if this was a video podcast, which is something that I, I have in mind to start some point. <laughs> With audio, it's a bit more difficult to explain. But yeah, you brought up a, a, a nice example. So you would you would go in there and you would see different types of aircraft. Um, which one is, is greener by uh, taking into account a number of different variables that are measurable and objective and you can compare them across the right. board so, right right so for example with single aisles one of the things that we found is that interestingly enough everybody likes loves the the, the 321 but actually the greenest single aisle is the max 9 mm, interesting and and it, it's by quite a gap and uh, the greenest wide body is the is the 787-10 and that uh, when you say that's the greenest, it's because you assign a number of points, or you weight well, different. It's, it, uh, Michael, it's really simple. Really, what you do is you look at the fuel burn, mm -hmm. and you look at gallons, or you know, eventually turn into liters for the, the metric version. But you look at the fuel burn, you look at the mileage flown or the the, the hours, and you look at the number of seats. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so miles per seat hour, and you say, well. That, that formula, let's throw that against everybody and see what happens. And you take into account the number of seeds that Correct. each of the different operators Correct. Uh, so they fit in. Right. Okay. In, in the case of the seven triple the 787-10, only United flies. Mm -hmm. In the case of the 350 in the US and the 330neo, only Delta flies. Mm -hmm. So those are Delta-specific or United-specific numbers, but it doesn't matter. In the end, it washes out because the data is so rich. There are literally hundreds of thousands of data points. So, you know, it washes out pretty well and it becomes a very useful metric. So for example, if you were interested in a 330 NEO's economics, Delta is going to be, the Delta data is going to give you a very good sense of how this thing works. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were interested in, um, you know, how does the triple seven, uh, uh, the bigger part, the, the 787 family work, the eight, nine and 10, you can take a look at the data and see. I mean, it's 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 very useful benchmarking. Excellent. So yeah, even if we don't have the images now as we speak, yeah. I will I will try to <laughs> to get some snapshots and and maybe post them on the on the show notes so that people can get can get a, a glimpse of, of what you guys do at Airinsight. Airinsight.com. That's a, that's a website. You are also active in social media, right? Yes, sir. Where can people find you? In which case you? Oh, Twitter, Twitter is where we uh, we have some fun. Uh huh. We have a Facebook page, but uh, how people feel about Facebook these days, I don't know. But we have a Facebook page that the stuff from our site feeds automatically into that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously our primary one is Twitter, but the professionally we 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 do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, it's been a, a fascinating conversation, Alison, like always, and thank you so much for. Uh, finding time to be back here on the podcast and on discussing this kind of top level stuff about aviation. Always good to get the, the general picture of what's going on. Thanks, Miguel. Thank you. Bye. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you are using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.